Hare Krishna. Good morning, Sri Sri Radha Srimad Bhagavatam class. Today we're reading from the 12th canto, chapter number 11, text number 34. And this is an amazing section of the Bhagavatam that foretells the future. Um, we're also hearing a description of the Mahapurusha, which interesting enough, there's a verse in here that glorifies Lord Chaitanya, so you could change it to a description of Mahaprabhu. Um, but we're going to read here a little bit today. Radha Madhava Jayakum Jabihi Hari Gopichana Vallabha Jayagiri Jayagiri Vada Fopofari Yasodanana Rajajanana Yasodanana Rajajanana Jaya Jamuna Tirha Vanachari Jayaka Jabi Hari Jamuna Tirha Bana Chapani Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo, thank you, madam. Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So I'm just going to read one Sanskrit verse here, and then I'll continue reading the English so you get a little bit of an idea what's happening here. 
This is text 34. Aryama Pulaho Toja Prahiti Punji Kashtali Narada Kachanyarascha Nayan Tete Sma Madhavam. So there's a few words here you might recognize. Um, do you know who Aryama is? Do you know who Aryama is? Yeah, he's a sage. Remember that story? Yeah, there's the three sages, uh, Aryama, Pulaha, and Anatoja. So, um, and there's a few more mentioned here, just like Preheti and Punjikashtali. But, um, so we're reading about, these are all assistants to, um, of the demigods to the Supreme Lord. Um, the Supreme Personality of God had manifests his potency of time as the sun god, and he travels around, and he travels about in each of the 12 months, beginning with Madhu, to regulate planetary motion within the universe. Traveling with the sun god in each of the 12 months is a different set of six associates. So these are the six associates of the sun god. The sun god is functioning as the representative of the supreme personality of Godhead. Does the sun god ever become, is, does the personality of Godhead ever become the sun god? He becomes Brahma sometimes. The sun god, Surya Narayan, we heard that name, right? Interesting. Uh, we know about the sun god, right, who met Queen Kunti before she was married, right? And, um, but also we have her, so Punjikastali. That's an interesting name, right? Sounds very feminine. Punjikastali, right? That's the name of a famous Apsara. What's unique about the Apsaras, do you know? Who's the most famous of all the Apsaras? Remember she tried to make Arjun have a romantic interlude with her? She's a dancing uh, woman. She's a dancing, uh, a dancer in the court of Lord Indra. She's considered to be one of the most famous high society girls. What's the name of a high society girl in English? Urvasi, thank you. Urvasi. What's the name of a high society girl in America? Remember, like, um, what are they called? They, they, there's a name for them. Not Divya, not Day, not Divi, not, uh, not that name. No, there's another name. It's like, um, you know, like, like all the famous actresses, like or, or actors like Elvis Presley would marry a girl like that, you know. Um, but there's a name for that, Deva. It's Deva something. I wonder if that comes from this. Deva is from the demigod names. Yeah, it's an English name. I'm surprised your English is really good. High society girls. 
Now, what's unique about the Apsaras is when um, they walk, flowers bloom beneath their feet. They also say that um, that the fragrance that emanates from their bodies, it wafts about them for about 80 miles. And anyone who smells that fragrance, who gets a whiff of that fragrance, they lose control of all of their senses and just run wildly after them. And also some of the famous ones, like um, there was um, Arjun. Remember he defeated a famous Gandharva when they were in exile? The Gandharva's name was Chitaratha. That means one of the golden chariot. And Arjun burnt his chariot to ashes. So Chitaratha, he, he said, now I'll have to change my name from Chitaratha to something like Dararatha means one of the burnt chariot. Interesting sense of humor. Uh, when he was almost killed, you know, by Arjun, but Arjun spared his life. And by sparing his life, he wanted to give gifts to Arjun, but Arjun f- felt that that was ignoble for a Chatriya to accept, like, monetary gifts. Um, so, but he said, no, accept it at least on behalf of our friendship and the, for giving me the gift of life. And so he offered him four horses of the Gandharvas that could travel at the speed of the mind and that would never become fatigued, even if they hadn't, don't have any water to drink. And um, those horses, they pulled Arjun's chariot in the battle of Kurukshetra. But Chitaratha, he was calling Arjun Tapatya. Tapatya. So Arjun asked, why are you calling me Tapatya? What does this mean? He said, oh, because you're the descendant of a famous Apsara. Her name was Tapati. And then he tells the story. Tapati, she was um, not a prostitute. She was a great devotee. Somehow... Beautiful women seem to come into this category somehow, you know, because I think it has a lot to do with um, Hollywooding, you know, rather than um, the, the, the Hollywooded image of an American woman has seemed to turn women in general, in, in you know, unless a woman is sexually dominant, you know, and able to control men, um, she's something's wrong with her. But all the women that are like very intelligent, loving, motherly, you know, doctors, uh, lawyers, teachers, all of them somehow, you know, they're not considered part of that group. You know, we'd rather popularize, you know, um, Paris Hilton. <laughs> I like Paris Hilton, but they, 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 the scripts that they give her are just obnoxious. Man, they turn her into uh, like this kind of dingbat type Girl, you know, that's the image of an American woman nowadays. I think it needs to be reformed, personally. I think it would help the country tremendously. But anyway, regardless of that, um, Tapia T, she was incredibly um, beautiful, said that um, her father was also the sun god, since we're reading about the sun god. And um, there's a few descriptions of her, but 
I think the most beautiful description is um, her father wanted her to, to marry um, a qualified husband, and um, he chose Maharaj Kuru of the Kuru dynasty, right? Like we hear the name Kuru Shetra. So the, it seems that the lineage, if you look in the ninth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the lineage of all these great families pretty much come from Maharaj Kuru. So Maharaj Kuru, he married Tapyati. So what happened was Tapyati became attracted to him. Why? Because he had a great body. <laughs> no! Of course he had a great body. He was, you know, a big warrior. Uh, I saw a film, a pretty interesting film of a kings in Jayapur from about a hundred years ago. One of the kings, he was nine feet tall. He had a 45-pound sword that he cut a soldier and his horse in half with. So I'm sure, you know, the Pandavas, all those great Kshatriyas, I mean, they had great bodies, you know. They were incredibly handsome, right? That's how it's described. Like uh, Uddhava, they say he looked just like Krishna. Right? They're very brave. The noble, nobility also, they're very uh, charitable. What other qualities would signify somebody being noble? Truthful, honest, compassionate. I mean, these things would, these qualities would attract anyone, you know. It's not just a matter of being like, a, you know, this like vicious warrior that just barbarously murders people, Right? But they actually have a really beautiful, amazing side, and they but they will use their power if it's required. But one of the things I was going to say is Maharaj Kuru, Tapyati, she became attracted to Maharaj Kuru, even though she was a demigoddess, because he was a pure devotee of Krishna. Have you ever been attracted by a pure devotee of Krishna? Really? They're unique, right? I mean, for the bad rap that Gurudev gets for being heavy, but he had a really sweet side that I, I don't think many people really understood or saw. But I mean, I've heard from Prabhupada disciples also, Srila Prabhupada, like one devotee I know, you might remember him, he used to live here, Rick Dananda Prabhu. He was an English editor. He told me he was very testy as an individual. Like he, he is very testy. Like he gets angry over little things all the time. You know, he told me that about himself. Like I lived in China with him. He told me, but even though right here in Dallas, he'd be out in the hallway, he'd be so angry about something. As soon as he came in the temple room, if Prabhupada was here, he'd be so happy and laughing and thinking everything in the world was just amazing. I kind of get that experience after I, I honor pizza, Prashad. Right? It's like, you've had this like, I don't even call it pizza anymore, I call it the holy pie. But when you come out of your house, you know, after you've had some like amazing pizza, and it's just like, ah, the world after pizza, Prashad. Yeah, there's something special, you know, about pure devotees and prashadam and seeing the deities. 
I don't think you get the same experience when you see them online. Do they look the same to you when you look at them on your phone? You feel like you're flying over them in an airplane or something, right? But when you're here, aren't they like captivating and very personal? I mean, to me, it seems like the temple, you know, it's got a bad rap. I heard Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, he said um, that the temples are not very popular because, especially the Vaishnav temples, they're not very popular because Krishna is in the center of everything and people get put off by that. If you read in that Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Vaibhava, he said that, you know, like, even like sometimes, I don't know if you've done this before, but, you know, I've seen it or I've done it myself. You know, hey, take a picture of me here. You know, and Krishna becomes like some piece of art, you know. It's like all about you and your kids and, you know. Oh, do I have that many listening? Are there 20 people listening right now? Oh, that's so nice of you guys. I really appreciate it. Okay, I'll get more serious for you. <laughs> no, but the point Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati made, I thought it was a very deep point. You know, like in other words, you know, we want to be the center of everything in material life. And so, you know, when you come in the temple and everybody's like, Hare Krishna, you know, and they're, and the deities, you know, and everybody's looking at them and it's just like, you know, you're kind of like an insignificant servant. People that kind of rubs them the wrong way a lot of times, you know. It's like, man. Just like, I'll give you an example. Like I, I, I've said this before. You guys have probably heard me say this. But there was this big Mayavadi who had come from India. He was very famous and, um, so somehow the devotees were invited to his program. So he was speaking and then he addressed everyone and he said, he said, why do you want to become a Hare Krishna? He said, if you follow the Hare Krishnas, they will make you a servant. But if you follow me, I will make you the master. And everybody's applauding him. Yeah, being a humble, you know, insignificant servant, you know, gets a bad rap. But really, guys, if you really want to know, you know, if you go out there and try to be the master, okay, let's just say you become, all right, I'll I'll give you the, the benefit of the doubt. Let's just say you become a billionaire, okay? Forget about being a millionaire. You're a billionaire, right? And you're famous and all this and that. But I find, you know, having decisions like, you know, whether I should eat more pineapple halva, or a piece of fresh, you know, milk burfi is a lot more enjoyable than, you know, thinking about whether I have to hire a lawyer or not, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, I have to sue somebody or somebody's, you know, done something to me or, you know, or being in charge of some, you know what I mean? A simple life of devotion is really so much more satisfying and peaceful and happy. 
Doesn't pay the bills. Mother Kunti is giving it a bad rap. That What she's saying is if you be take up devotional service, you know, you're not going to be very successful. And what I'm saying is, so what? <laughs> Sorry, guys, I shouldn't laugh like that. Hey, no, but what I'm saying is let's, let's, let's look at simple living. If you have children, of course your children, they need to get a college education, you know. You have to convince your child that being a hundred thousand dollars in debt before you start their, before they even start their career is the best thing they can do with their life. And they should go out there and just party all night long and then come back and, and, and try to, you know, pass their tests by cheating. Like my son's a high school class, they had a school motto. The class that cheats together graduates together. I'm not saying everybody in college is like that, but all I'm trying to say is there's actually a lot of pleasure in being peaceful and simple. No, that's their devotional service. For families with small children who have to earn money. I'm not against earning money. Hey, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful book called Our Glorious Master by his, uh, Grace Burijan Prabhu. So in there, he tells Prabhupada that he wants to give up his job and just move with Jagatarini and their two kids. Remember their kids, uh, Grupad, and what's the girl's name? Burijan Prabhu's daughter's name. She comes here sometimes. Yeah, so he, he tells Prabhupada, look, I just want to move in the temple and just go on Harinam and everything. And, and Prabhupada said, don't you think we need money to, to, to preach and spread this movement? He said, what you're talking about right now is not Christian consciousness. It's a hippie's philosophy. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 as long as I was around Srila Gurudev, I mean, he always pushed me to earn money. He pushed me to earn money as a brahmachari. He pushed me to earn money as a grihasta. And I don't know what I am right now, but he's still pushing me. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Everybody else is now <laughs> pushing me. I mean, it seems like, you know, that's just part of life, making as much money as possible and living as high of standard. Give it to the temple. Our what? Are signed up. Yeah, it's very nice to support the temple and to support book distribution and things. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was just reading in um, the Chaitanya Charitamrita and um, there was a discussion about Mar- King Maharaj Pachapurudra. And what Prabhupada was pointing out was the difference between Maharaj Pachapurudra and kings in general in India during that time was that he was a pure devotee. And what, um, remember Lord Chaitanya refused to see him because he was a king and, you know, because kings are into politics and, and wealth and beautiful women and enjoying life, right? So, um, but what Prabhupada points out is that Maharaj Pachapuruja was different in that he didn't build himself an enormous palace. The biggest building in Jagannath Puri was the temple. Maharaj Pachapuruja used his fortune 
as a king to build the temple and the temple was the biggest facility the biggest building in and and also it was the biggest program like you know they distributed like uh prashadam you know to feed the entire city every day even today guinea's world record reports that uh the temple of jagannath puri has the largest commercial kitchen in the world and but Maharish Puchapuruja, he lived in a in a nice like a, a not a palace, but Prabhupada refers to it as a, a mansion. And the he considered Lord Jagannath was the actual king and proprietor, and that he was simply a representative of the Lord. And as we can see, Lord Chaitanya himself and Lord Jagannath, they resided there because of the king's devotion and Lord Chaitanya brought all his devotees there as well. So that attracted Krishna himself to come there. So I guess the conclusion should be that we should live in uh, uh, healthy and productive lives. We should take care of our families. We should have reasonably nice homes that people don't come into this neighborhood and say, oh my God, I could never be a Hare Krishna because you guys live in, in a slum. You know, in other words, the neighborhood should look nice enough that when people come here, you know, oh, wow, you guys have nice homes, you know, the restaurant's nice, the temple's beautiful, you know, they should have at least that much. I mean, we should do that, if not for ourselves and our families, for the preaching, you know, initiative. But the majority of the, you know, opulence should be offered to the deities. You know, if we can afford it, you know, we should try to, you know, offer outfits and, you know, clean and, you know, gardens and all of that really nice you know for people who come here that's one of the things i've heard it again and again and again guests from the restaurants they say man the atmosphere here is just so pleasant they can't even believe that people are walking around in the neighborhood like talking to one another and stuff they just like that's become such a luxury nowadays people don't even have enough time to talk to one another anymore you know so um yeah, we're reading. So Tapiyati, she it was described that she was so attracted to Maharaj Kuru because he was a pure devotee. So she came to earth from what's the planet that the sun god lives on? Does he live on the moon? Does he live on earth? He lives on the sun. Hey, you know, I read I, when I attended the Brahma Sumita class, uh, Gurudev gave he gave an interesting um, explanation, uh, I, and I I don't know to what extent you know this uh, holds true, but he said that like Bhumi Devi, the goddess of the earth, she doesn't reside on the earth, but she resides in the earth covering around the universe, which is like a heavenly sphere, just like the goddess Durga, she re- resides on the farthest covering of the universe, the Mahatattva. Like you might, you you may have read this in the um, Brihad Bhagavatam Rita, Gopakumara, right? He travels through the different coverings of the universe, and when he gets to the Mahatattva, the goddess Durga is there. And do you know who her personal deity is? No, she worships the Mohini Murti. And then she asks Gopakumara, in a like goddess Durga, she's like the leader of all the upstars. She's considered to be the most beautiful of all the demi goddesses, and she's telling Gopakumar, "Hey, Gopakumar, you want to come and 
worship my deity. Yeah, but Govukumari, he, he, he humbly nods out, I'm worshiping the, uh, the Mohini Morti, and he decides he better just get back to Goloka Vrindavan. He thinks it's more fun. Anyway, so, yeah, she came from the heavenly worlds, from the sun planet. So all I'm saying is that, you know, the sun god, I think, resides on his own planet. But I know Bhumi Devi and different demigods reside within those universal coverings. So whether they're on the planet itself that's made up of their, you know, the, 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 the um, elements that they are dominate and control, or they reside in those universal coverings, they're out there somewhere. I guess that's uh, uh, what's going to be part of our new Temple of Vedic Planetarium. We should maybe get into those details a little bit. I'm hoping it'll be an interesting, provocative, controversial. (laughs) Mother Kuti knows for sure it's going to be controversial. (laughs) It's boring if it's not controversial. Come on, guys. Hey, so then, um, yeah, so... So Tapyati, she came from the sun god's planet, from her father's planet, and she came to the forest where Maharaj Kuru was hunting. And it's described that just the aura of her beauty, the, the, the effulgence emanating from her body, transformed the forest as if it was made of gold. And when Maharaj Kuru saw her, he had never seen a woman with that type of, with those qualities and that aura and that beauty and he thought he was dreaming at first he couldn't believe what he saw and then she vanished then she came before him again and then he begged her to marry her begged he begged her to marry him and she said my life is not my own i am the um property of my father you have to ask my father if you wish my hand in marriage and so because Maharaj Kuru was an earthly king. What he did was, his spiritual master was Vishishta Muni, the, 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 the guru of Lord Ramachandra. And Vishishta, uh, first of all, Maharaj Kuru, he fasted for three days and nights. He stayed awake and didn't drink or eat. And when he did that with the desire to marry her, Mar- Vishishta Muni appeared before her. This is in the Mahabharata. And, uh, he appeared before Maharaj Kuru and asked him what his desire was. And he said, I want to marry this girl, Tapyati, the daughter of the sun god. And so Vishishta, with his mystic power, was able to transport himself from this planet to the sun planet. And he was able to make the marriage arrangement. And then she came and she became the first lady or the queen of the Kuru dynasty. And, Mar- and Arjuna is a descendant of her. So he's also known as Tapatya. So each one of these great sages and personalities, they have amazing um, histories, and they're assisting in the universal administration. You know, I was talking to Mother Ingenia the other day, and um, she was telling me how she's British, and I was telling her how I, and I lived in um, Hong Kong. Um, Margaret Thatcher was in charge of Hong Kong, and it was it, the administration was so excellent. I loved living there when she was in charge of Hong Kong. It was amazing to be there. Everything was so well organized. 
You know, it was so well organized, there wasn't even any sales tax. So, uh, Mitra is the name of the sun god. Atri as the sage. Purusheya as the rakshasha. Uh, Takshika as the naga. And Menaka as the apsura. Menaka. Menaka, you remember her? What's the story of Menaka? She approaches that sage. He's approaching, he's performing austerities beneath the sea, right? And ha ha, you know that ha 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 ha? Yeah, like when you're laughing, ha ha ha. Ha ha is the name of Gandharva. Ha ha. And Ratashvan. So Rath is the Yaksha, and they rule the month of Sukra. So these are the different demigods ruling over each month. And so why are we hearing all of this about the demigods and Lord Indra and what possible benefit could a devotee get from understanding this? How everything and everyone is completely dependent on the Supreme Lord? That's a beautiful understanding. I really can embrace that. Thank you, Mother Kunti. Anything else? I mean, to me, it throws at us a very personal understanding of the entire creation. You know, like we've been spoon-fed, if you want to, you know, just to couch it lightly, a completely impersonal understanding of, of life and reality. You know, that there's nothing out there, there's only life on this planet, we are the supreme, you know, form of life, right? We came from monkeys, the homo sapiens, and, you know... Right? And now everything's meant for us to dominate, to rule and enjoy. And the universe came from a chance explosion. It was nothing but a combination of chemicals. And ultimately, life ends after this. There's nothing beyond this life. So go for the gusto. Bush. Should the devotees go for the gusto, Mother Kunti? <laughs> but going for the gusto, you know, once Gurudev told me that, Naratam, go for the gusto because you only go around once in life. The, dev- the devotees only go around once in life and then they go back home, back to Godhead. Oh, you guys, there's a lot of verses here about the demigods. There's got to be at least a hundred different demigods mentioned here. And they're Nagas, and they're, they're Apsaras, and they're Yakshas, and they're Gandharvas, and they're all in control of it each month. And what do they do out there? What are they controlling? What are they doing for everybody? The wind blows from Vayu. The wind blows by just, oh yeah, because man, everyone's scared of that glance. I mean, it's like one thing when, when he's smiling and glancing, another thing when he's angry and he's glancing. 
Right? I heard that Lord Shankarshan, you know, if you hang around too long in the material world and don't surrender to Krishna, it's in the Bhagavatam that finally he just glances over the material world with a little bit of anger and the whole thing is devastated. Boom. And we end up getting put to bed for 311,420,000,000,000 years. Get in bed and go to sleep. Ha, 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 ha. What? You're not ready for that one? <laughs> yeah, you guys, look at this. I mean, what do the Rakshashas have to do out there? Are there any good Rakshashas out there? They're pretty scary guys, aren't they? Yamarajas? No, he, Yamaraj is a Rakshasha? No, he's a Yaksha. Oh, he has servants that are Rakshashas? The Brahmin Rakshashas? No, I thought they were like Lord Shiva's followers, right? No, those aren't those guys orcs? <laughs> the followers. Hey, you know, something amazing. I got the Daityas. The Daityas are the carriers. They're demons. Yeah, they're the orcs. No, I heard something amazing. The mother, um, the GBC, the mother who's in the GBC, what's her name? Yeah, Mother Malati. Thank you. So Mother Malati, she had a dream and these divine beings, they posted it about a month ago, and these divine beings came to her in her sleep. And they were really handsome, like Lord Vishnu. They were really beautiful, effulgent and everything. And she asked them who they were, and they said they were the Yamadudas. So then she said, but I thought the Yamadudas were so ugly and ferocious. She said, And then the Yamadudas said, no, these are our original forms that we associate with Lord Yamaraj. But when we go out to drag the souls, the sinful souls out, we show these ferocious forms to drag their disembodied souls to the to hell. I guess it's kind of like a soldier that puts on a you know some of those those uh, yeah some of those 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 combat outfits are pretty scary. You saw the new ones now with the with the weird uh, clown faces and stuff they have. Oh man, that's really scary. Even the women, the way they dress up, you know. The, the, for combat now, it's frightening. The helmets even are very frightening looking. It's nothing like it was. It wasn't It's nothing like G.I. Joe. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so the Rakshashas, but um, the Rakshashas, I, I remember in the Mahabharata, it said that they were given a copy of the um, Mahabharata. And it, the human Mahabharata has 100,000 verses, but the Rakshasha Mahabharata has 600,000 verses. So they're considered far superior to human beings in their powers and their abilities. Wasn't um, Ravan's brother a Rakshasha? Right? So it's not that all Rakshashas are bad. But they have incredible power, right? Powers of like thousands of elephants. They can transport themselves. They can transform their bodies. Like, a, who is that one? She married a Bhima? Hidimba. Hidimbi, thank you. Yeah, her brother's name was Hidimba, right? And they had a son who was a great devotee. What was his name? Huh? Gadakach. Yeah, he was the one who protected Arjun and made uh, Karna use the Shakti weapon that could have killed Arjun. The beautiful sculpture of that episode of the Mambard in uh, Bali, after in the main court. Yeah, it's getting late now. So I'm going to leave you guys with all of the demigods. We're getting up to um, verse number 40, 
5, it has about 20 Sanskrit shlokas in one verse. So get ready all about the demigods, you guys. So you're going to have to do your homework here, just like who is Twashta? Twashta. How about Rich, Richka? Right? The sage Richka? Right? Brahmapeta? Satyajit? Okay, I'm expecting to learn something about all these demigods now. All right, have a great day. Thank you for sitting with me, Mother Kunti. Hare Krishna, glories to Srila Prabhupada.